The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. You're listening to the Medical School HQ podcast, session number 33. Welcome back to another session of the Medical School HQ podcast, the podcast about medical school where we take you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. We're here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. I am your host, Ryan Gray, and again with me in the studio, I have... His co-host, Allison Gray. Welcome, Allison. So, for those of you that have been listening, Allison is now done with residency. woo And she has started her real job, her, her big boy job, I call it. I, I keep telling her she's a big boy doctor now. Maybe big girl, but yes. <laughs> Same difference. So congratulations, Allison, for starting in the real world. Thank you. How has that transition been? Uh, it's been exciting. It's a different kind of rhythm. Um, it's for now outpatient primarily, and I'm used to being in the hospital all the time. Uh, so there's kind of a different vibe. It's more relaxed a little bit, but um, it's just been exciting. Uh, as you know, we had a little vacation in between, so that was nice, kind of break things up and decompress. Um, but I do find, and people have talked to me about this, that you're on this path your whole life, you're in school, and then you're at the next phase, the next phase, and each thing is, okay, for the next four years, I'm going to be living here, I'm going to be learning this, working on the transition to this next step. And then you get there and I've graduated residency and now I'm like, whoa, well, what am I supposed to be? I Really, I woke up the day after I graduated from residency thinking I, I'm supposed to be somewhere today <laughs> right now. Um, so that kind of, you know, not having an end date is, is different. And I think it'll take some getting used to, but it's been a blast so far. Awesome. So today I want to talk about experiences because you're on a new path with being a, a quote-unquote attending now not a resident and uh, all the stuff that you're talking about I wanted to go back because a lot of pre-med students are now starting medical school and a lot of med students are starting residency now I wanted to go back and talk about the transition that we had entering medical school and what it was like and kind of what you remember and and more just a, a personal conversation kind of podcast, so a little bit different than what we typically do here. So hopefully you, the listener, like uh, what we're going to be talking about. 
if you do, you can uh, go on to iTunes and, and let other students know the value that you get out of these podcasts. I do want to mention two new five-star reviews since we mentioned them last. Uh, one from Tom Penser and one from eMurph2012. eMurph said, can't stop listening. Uh, and he says he would highly recommend us. And Tom said, nicely done. He's a non-trad looking forward to future episodes. So thank you to those two reviews. We always like uh, reviews and ratings. We greatly appreciate them because in iTunes, that's how people find us. Uh, and, and as consumers, that's we're always looking at Yelp and, and Amazon reviews and we're always trying to figure out how other people think of things. So if you enjoy us, if you haven't yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave us a rating. And if you could spend a minute or two and leave us a review, five stars would be great if you think we deserve it. So let's talk about medical school and what it was like starting, what it was like that if you remember it back that far, and it might be hard for me because I have a terrible memory about this kind of stuff, but what it was like to 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 move into the dorms and know that you were surrounded by all these brilliant people that were starting medical school with you. Got to get in a time machine. Yeah. So I I know for me, moving in, I I think I was a little numb. It was just a little bit different, kind of moving in to the dorms and meeting all these new people and and going to orientation and being surrounded. How big was our class? Like 160? Yeah, roughly. So meeting quite a few people and and knowing that these are the people that you're going to spend the next four years of your life with. So it was a little overwhelming, I think. I think I was a little numb. Not and And as I've mentioned plenty of times on the podcast, I was a little bit naive to the whole process. So I didn't know what really was in store coming up. But how did you take the the steps into medical school? Yeah, it was really exciting. I think trying to think back about the my emotions about the beginning of medical school, it was just so exciting. Um, you'd been dreaming of this time for so long and and had this goal, and then you've actually finally arrived. You are a medical student. Um, you're you're in the club. <laughs> um, and uh, it was also a big change in environment. I know for me, I had always really lived in urban settings. Uh, I grew up in, in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a uh, kind of a suburban urban uh, town outside Boston, but really accessible to the city. And I basically walked everywhere growing up. So uh, moving to Westchester, New York was very different. Um, and my parents were uh, kind enough to give me a hand-me-down vehicle. So <laughs> driving everywhere was different. Um, so I think that change in environment was, was uh, you know, an adjustment. But uh, I think there was actually some comfort in the way that our medical school designed our first year uh, experience because like you said we moved into dorms Uh, as uh, you the listener know probably by now there are so uh, many medical schools out there and they're in all different types of environments some are right smack dab in the middle of the city and you're walking you know right by the subway and then right there's your medical school class but uh, for us it was very different and there was a little bit of comfort kind of 
coming into this uh, suburban area and this real kind of community on campus uh, where we had dorms and um, it was a little stranger in your 20s and now you're moving into a dorm. Aren't we past that? But it was kind of fun to get roommates and uh, just kind of, I don't know, meld into that that campus uh, feel again. So yeah, but just excitement and adjustment and you're finally there. It was like that feeling you're finally there. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I I talk about when when I talk about choosing a medical school. It's it's not just about the name and who has the highest MCAT scores and the highest GPA scores and that's the one I want to go to. It's it's about location. It's about the setting. It's about the environment. What fits you? If you know that you don't want to go live in a dorm again and you like the big city life, then don't go to a rural rural college. Don't go to a college a medical school in the suburbs. Know what fits you and and apply to those types of schools and go on the interviews and really observe life at that campus. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think back on uh, those, you know, last few weeks in the medical school application process and I had interviewed at Dartmouth and I was looking there and looking at New York Medical College and uh, my mom had said to me, well, what do they have around Lebanon, New Hampshire, and and what do they have around Westchester and New York? And I thought to myself, well, I'm not really an outdoorsy type person. I love nature, don't get me wrong, but I do enjoy my indoor plumbing. So the idea of being in a place where a lot of the things that you would do outside of studying involved hiking and and being really in nature, um, it just didn't appeal to me quite as much as being in New York where, yes, we were in Westchester, but we were also right next to the city. You could take the metro in, you could drive right in. uh, And there was a big appeal there for me. So uh, location really does play into things. I think on as a devil's advocate or a caveat to that, it's good to be really open-minded. As we've talked about in other podcasts, you want to increase your odds, your probability of getting in. So kind of ignoring geography is actually in your favor and applying all over the place and, and uh, letting your guard down about possibly living in another part of the country that you've never even been to before. But once you're in and you're looking at different medical schools, maybe you're down to those last couple weeks, uh, you, you do if you do have the option of, of choosing, um, which not everybody does, uh, it's great to really actually consider, am I going to like living in this place if I'm really not that kind of a person? Yeah. And that always goes back to the fact that don't apply to a school that you know you're not going to want to go to. So. What, uh, let's talk about uh, the first class. Like, orientation is cool, and you're hanging out with all your new med school buddies. Orientation was awesome. We went on a boat cruise. Yes, we did. (laughs) We did all sorts of things. Boat cruise around uh, Manhattan. So not every medical school will give you a boat cruise around Manhattan, but ours did. (laughs) So typically the schools will have some sort of orientation and get you settled in and and then the first thing I remember is anatomy lab. Actually walking into the anatomy lab and, and meeting our cadaver and, and getting our anatomy group. And I remember for me, that was, that was like the moment. That, it was the first time I'd, I'd ever worked with a, a human cadaver. And anatomy was what I loved. 
And, and so I think that was one of those moments where I said, okay, this is cool. I'm going to really enjoy this. Yeah, that was a great day. I remember two things about that first day in Anatomy Lab. One was getting used to the environment and the smells. And and yes, this was your first patient uh, and and who you're going to be spending hours and hours with for a long time. And uh, I was also very excited by the, about the fact that Ryan's anatomy table was just kitty corner to mine. So I was very close to where he was going to be dissecting for the next few months. <laughs> nice. I don't think I remember that. Yeah, you probably wouldn't have, yeah. but I noticed. But yeah, that, that <laughs> But that was a very fun day actually getting to to, you know, gross anatomy. That's that's what everybody or a lot of people think of when they think of medical school. So, one of those kind of rites of passage that here you are, you've entered anatomy lab. Yeah, and and I, I want to talk about anatomy lab a little bit because I've I, it's one of those sacred things that not many people get to do um, legally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Weird. Yeah, and it, I I think it's something that some students and I hopefully hopefully nobody listening to this podcast would would do this, but I think some students don't take it as serious and they kind of goof around around the bodies and eat a hamburger next to the body and take pictures of the bodies, and that's just kind of, uh, some are written rules, but there's a lot of unwritten rules about how to act around uh, the um, cadavers. Absolutely, and what people have to remember, and they spent a lot of time talking about this at our medical school, is that these people have donated their bodies to science and for the express purpose of educating future doctors, and if you don't take a moment and kind of soak that in, it's uh, you won't appreciate how much of a gift that is. I mean, if you think about it, could future doctors all be just sitting at computers and trying to understand things through some electronic, you know, means? Uh, maybe, and maybe in 50 years from now or less, that will be a way of the world. I think they actually do teach anatomy um, through electronic uh, simulators. simulators. Right, in some places. But I can't tell you, you'll never appreciate what it's like to hold different organs in your hands um, from a person who's cut, passed away. Cut skin and cut muscle. Yeah, or... and, and actually, and when you cut through those things yourself, it really gives you a different understanding of, of where what the anatomy actually is. I, I really don't think that even if they are only teaching anatomy electronically, you know, in the future, I don't think that that could ever fully recreate what you do in the anatomy lab. So you have to have respect. That is so essential. It's it's just unthinkable not to, to treat every cadaver. And our medical school... Uh, we really bonded around that cadaver and, and we really did treat that person like our first patient. That was a big deal. Yeah, and it was, I think, a little bit different at, at New York Medical College because our anatomy professor was actually a, a monk mm -hmm. and he met all of our cadavers before they had died. Yeah, uh, that's pretty so, amazing. So he had a relationship with them and kind of led them to their their through their final days and uh, and knew them before they were our patients. So it was a little bit different and he he was a stickler for how we acted around the cadavers because he knew them as people before. Absolutely. We also had I don't know if you remember this Ryan, we had this awesome uh, ceremony at the end of our uh, anatomy course during that first year of medical school. 
where we talked about our experiences. People shared poetry. Uh, I know that I sang in a, a choir with some other students. Uh, and they actually invited the family members. Uh, this was really for them. It was a, a thank you and and sort of a final um, peace be with you, if you will, uh, ceremony. Uh, and the, the, the cadavers actually do ultimately get buried. And so this service was our thank you. And it was really emotional and and a quite it gives me goosebumps just talking about it. Um, it was a really amazing experience. And I think they do that at other medical schools. I, I found it to be just so profound and so important. Yeah, they, they do do it at other medical schools. I, I don't know if they do it at all, but I have seen them at other medical schools. So it's a, it's a good tradition. I did want to comment on something totally different about um, anatomy. So some of you out there might think, well, anatomy is, yes, it's all dead people. But that doesn't mean that you're uh, filled with horrible smells all the time. A plug for our medical school, actually, is that our uh, medical school's anatomy lab was one of the first in the country to have, uh, well, to be on a top floor of a building, number one. It's not in one of these dungy little basement rooms somewhere in a building. Uh, It's beautiful with these big windows and really well ventilated. So don't think that just because you're starting anatomy that you're going to be smelly and nasty every day and all day. It was really pleasant, actually. Yeah, that's a big sales pitch now for schools are the the nice anatomy (laughs) labs. So anatomy what the the other class that went with anatomy was microbiology wasn't it i think it was histology histology first. Yeah, yeah it was histology and i remember i i failed my first histology test because it was one of those medical school things where there's so much to do and unless you balance it all out you, you're gonna you're gonna sink and I sank, and I went to my histology professor, and I said, I spent all my time studying for anatomy. I didn't have enough time to study for histology. And so we worked on a schedule, and I, I, I found balance later on. So yeah, that, that, that was a shock to me, because I, obviously, as a medical student, I never really was used to failing something. And so it was a big shock, and uh, I ended up doing well in the class, but yeah, it was it was hard. The the those first couple tests where you're you're learning all the material for anatomy and learning all the material for histology and then you have back-to-back tests it felt impossible Mm. it was stressful i mean the anatomy lab uh, i remember used to make me nervous because you have two parts to that you have a written at least at our medical school we had a written test And we also had a lab segment where you would go around and they would have these little pins uh, in different body parts and you would have to identify whatever it was that they were talking about. And you didn't know, obviously, beforehand what they were going to throw at you. So you're walking around the room and and you only have 60 seconds or something like that to look at each one and figure out what it is and jot it down. So I found that, particularly the one on the extremities, I remember walking out of there thinking, oh, dear God, that was awful. But as Ryan points to, one of the things about medical school, yes, it's overwhelming and there's so much material and you have these exams, but the the instructors are really, they are rooting for you and medical schools, once they've invested in you, are going to do everything they can to help you to succeed. So 
even though Ryan failed that one test, he went on to do just fine and, and did well in histology. So that's an important point. And then also, as Ryan was talking about with the, the shifting focus, it's not that, oh, gee, you start med school and you have one class anatomy. False. It's you have anatomy, you have histology, you have ethics. We had, uh, I think, our first patient doctor uh, it wasn't called that, but it was uh, like doctoring 101 or something. <laughs> it wasn't called that either. Anyway, um, basically where you start learning how to take a history and you go into uh, a clinic for the first time, you get set up with a preceptor and that was awesome. But uh, you do have uh, anatomy, which you think, okay, that's like the whole body, big organs and it's very visual and then you go to histology where you're looking under the microscope at tiny things and trying to uh, understand and you know how those things work together and uh, in space and so it's being able to shift focus and just learn in different types of modalities um, you know at, at a rapid pace so yeah I don't I don't know what you're talking about the anatomy lab practical part of the test that was my favorite well that's because you were an ace at anatomy <laughs> that, was, that was that was my favorite test during medical school I was walking around I, I thought they gave us way too much time at each station oh, God. <laughs> now I sound like a gunner I, I remember on the extremities part, I used to ask you to show me why this muscle made the arm go that way. And maybe if I could only walk you, you around the test with me. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, well. And and a note to all the, all the females out there and some males, don't wear high heels into the anatomy oh. lab practical. <laughs> it's very quiet in the room. And high heels make a lot of noise. Well, we don't want to call out any of our good friends, but yes, two of our good friends from medical school who we adore and are now very successful. And one is a pediatrician and one is an OBGYN. Uh, and they were um, very attractive, young uh, medical students. And sure enough, they used to come into anatomy lab in their stilettos. Um, and you'd be hearing them during the practical, you know, clicking their heels as they walked around the room on this like tiled floor. So it was a little distracting, but they sure looked cuter than everybody else. I looked like a schlub most of the time and old T-shirts and whatever else, because you're going to get juices on you, if you know what I mean. There is a goo factor, obviously. Yeah. So. All right. So that was kind of our, our introduction to medical school. The first couple classes, getting in the flow with taking tests and multiple tests and all the material it's a lot. You always hear the the term uh, "drinking from a from a fire hydrant," and it's it's true. There's there's a lot more material there out there to learn, and it seems like every day they're adding more material for us to learn because science is getting better and better at learning new things. So, uh, I'm an advocate for making medical school five years. I think I think there's enough material out there to learn that that we could spread it over five years now, but. I think most people would argue with me about that one. Uh, some medical schools are going down to three years, yep. some to five, and then some medical students are taking it upon themselves, even when they have a four-year curriculum, to make it five, to squeeze some research in there. So yeah. who knows? So what do you remember what first year, like what kind of shocked you or what do you remember the most from first year? Studying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> studying with Ryan at, at like you at Atlanta Bread Company. For some reason, we chose that spot 
as our go-to spot. (laughs) Right, exactly. The food was good. Um, But just hours and hours of studying. I remember there was one day where we all had our big uh, netters atlases. They have just huge pictures of all the different body parts. And as you're going through, they they do it very systematically. You look at, you study the thorax or the, the trunk of the person first, and then you look at the abdomen. And so we got down to the pelvis and we're looking at genitals and we're sitting in Atlanta Bread Company with a couple of our friends who would uh, we would all go to study but we would study independently and just kind of keep each other company it was how to morally support each other and uh, our two friends had these are their netters atlases spread open uh, against the windows of this coffee shop good word spread yeah, well, exactly. And so people were walking by on the street and looking in and pointing and snickering and laughing their butts off. It was just so funny. You know, it's 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 one thing that I learned that when you become a medical student, you start living in a world where you go out for lunch and you talk about diarrhea and it feels completely normal. And you kind of forget that your other friends who are not doctors and are, you know, in law school or whatever they're doing, they're totally grossed out by you and they don't understand you. So actually on a more kind of serious note, I did feel a sense of that I did have a little bit of trouble connecting with some people um, from back home when I became a medical student because you have so many experiences thrown at you in medical school. You're learning about so many different things and you're starting to learn what it's like to take a history from real patients in the clinic. You're dissecting bodies in the anatomy lab. You're you're just becoming uh, a member of this this really exciting, privileged world of people that get to learn about taking care of people. And I would try to explain to my friends back home, try to explain what I was learning and what I was doing. And there's just a disconnect. I think people were really excited for me that I was getting to embark on my dream, but I just, they just couldn't really get it. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because a lot, I would say probably almost all of the relationships um, that we saw that came into medical school together really dissolved. Um, I was an example of that. I had been dating someone for a few years and I met Ryan and <laughs> um, the rest is history, as they say. But that was a very common thing. And I really attribute that very much, um, not to kind of overshare here, but I attribute that to this this disconnection. It's, it's almost like it, it was so great every day to be able to share the excitement and to talk about uh, this medical school world we were living in and all this cool and crazy and gross and nasty stuff that nobody else likes to talk about. Um, but that's what we came to love, and that was what we were about. So um, it, that was that was difference. That was a change. I think a change for the better. But it was a difference. Yeah, it, and I think along with friends, you have family. I know my mom and my grandmother. <laughs> they're still confused to this day about what we do and and <laughs> where in the process we are and and during residency. What, are we doctors? Are we not yeah. doctors? And <laughs> It's and a very long journey. <laughs> you'll you'll be explaining uh, to a lot of different people what you're doing, and and at, I want to design like a just a cue card, to, uh, almost like a business card maybe that that has a an algorithm or a timeline, and and you can just whip out the card and circle where you are and hand it to them, and they can figure out the rest. 
Yeah, it's it is hard kind of explaining things. Um, And that doesn't not saying that to sound elitist. It's just it's like speaking another language. You start you really do start learning another language in medicine. And my uh, good friend was visiting us um, last week or a few weeks ago when I graduated from medical from Oh, my gosh. Wow. Now I'm all confused. When I graduated from residency a couple weeks ago and Ryan and I were having a conversation, we were throwing out some medical jargon because we were just talking amongst ourselves and um, my friend had been reading my board review book and she was saying, God, you know, do you guys speak like this? Is that kind of how you talk? And we just kind of take it for granted. You know that when you're in a room with a patient, you're taught you don't speak in medical jargon terms because it, that doesn't help anybody. It just confuses people, but it really is like learning a new language. So it's, I think if I really think back on that first year, it was, it was being uh, absorbed uh, into this new world, uh, really. And it's, it's kind of something that, that you feel as it's happening, but also you look back on it and you think, God, you know, that what, what a huge transition that was. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really know if I handled it well or if I didn't handle it well. Well, you obviously handled it well because look at you. You're doing great now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I passed. I, P equals MD, right? <laughs> um, I, I made it through, but I, I just, it was a lot. And I, it's, again, one of those things where I wish I knew more about what to expect going in and, and knowing that the for, first year your your clinical or not clinical but your your coursework is very important to your board scores and and how you're going to prepare for the board uh, it's i wish i would have known more about that going in to actually prepare myself cuz i sat there at, during biochemistry and histology and, and every other every other class except for anatomy and was frustrated. I said, why do I need to know this? I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. I, I just want to go study the cadaver and learn about the cadaver. I don't need to know all this other crap. And so I wish I would have known a little bit more that everything has a purpose. And, and while no, it directly won't be involved in my day-to-day life as a dermatologist, orthopedic, whatever you want to be, that you need to know it anyway because of all the other future steps in the process. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if you have a lot of excitement as you enter medical school, you may just hit the ground running. And I think that was kind of me. I was just, and as some of you know from listening to us before, I'm one of those bizarre people who just really likes to study. Yes. (laughs) I love school. I always have. Um, And I just enjoy studying. I enjoy taking tests. Um, (laughs) uh, So I think when I got there, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I just started, I had had a year off between um, college and medical school. And I can honestly tell you that I missed school and I was so excited to go to Staples and get my pens and now all of you are thinking I'm even more crazy than you thought before. But really, <laughs> there are a lot of other people like that in medical school. Um, you just did that, by the way, for starting your attending I did. job. We went to stables <laughs> and we bought new it's, pens. It's like the first day of school or something. You know, you just got to do it. But <laughs> um, and then someday I'll take my kids, our kids. It'll be great. Uh, but yeah, I think I hit the ground running and I think that we were just in two different places mentally. You had this sort of idea, you know, you were coming out of a job and you were uh, looking at becoming an orthopedic surgeon and thinking about 
courses maybe differently. And I kind of had a different philosophy in mind. But I, I agree that I think everybody, uh, it's a good thing for everybody to know that uh, you want to adopt that mentality of everything counts. Yes, P equals MD. But as Ryan said, uh, all those grades, uh, you know, the testing scores, all that stuff does matter. And I think uh, once you get yourself in that groove, it really helps. So if you're kind of avoiding it and, and saying, oh, well, I'll just kind of take the first couple weeks easy. No, remember, medical school happens and it happens immediately. It happens right after orientation is done. That's it. You're you're good to go. It's time to study. So um, just knowing that there's a method to the madness and, and uh, it'll only get harder once you get behind. So hitting the ground running is is a good way to begin. So I'll put a link in the show notes, but there's an awesome YouTube video about how medical school is like eating five pancakes a day and how it's like, oh, eating five pancakes a day is easy. That's no problem. But one day you might get sick of eating pancakes and you decide you only want to eat three. But then the next day you have to eat seven because you have to eat an average of five a day or else you you won't study, quote unquote, study all the material that you need to learn for the test. And so the next day when you have to eat seven, you can only eat four and then after that you have to eat eight and then you're kind of screwed and it just <laughs> snowballs and so it, it really is important to to stay uh ahead of the game and on schedule and have a good calendar laid out on on what you need to do and stick to it yeah it is a marathon so figuring out that study buddy that study environment i mean ryan and i tried a different a few different environments we used to go to barnes and nobles uh we used to go to atlanta bread company and then at some point i realized that it was too distracting uh in our second year we started actually uh, studying at home and that was great you it was a little uh, uh, cabin fever sometimes but you just get up and you, if you didn't have class that day, or if you did, you know, you'd go to class, but you'd study all day long at the table at home. And so figuring out what works for you pretty darn quickly is, is good and important. And it really is a marathon. So don't get down on yourself. If something doesn't go well, you just got to pick yourself up and, and go on to the next thing. So. Yeah. One of the, the things that I think most medical schools have nowadays is some sort of scribe, service you just mentioned staying home even if there is a course uh, a class because our medical school had a scribe service so the lectures were recorded and then somebody would transcribe that lecture and put in relevant notes and slides and and i did that service and looking back and knowing now what i know i don't think i would have relied on that service as much as i did because i am a the way that I learn best, I learn best by listening and integrating what I'm seeing with what I'm listening to. And so getting just the transcription of the lectures didn't cut it for me. And so that's one of those big things to know that there, your school might offer services like that. And it, great, sign up for them, but try a couple different things. We always talk about trying different ways of learning because you what worked for you in undergrad, it will probably not work for you in medical school just because it's so different. But know that there's a couple different ways of doing it and, and try and, and, and know how you learn best. 
Yeah, in neurology, we say that uh, the best way to learn something is to see it, to write it, to hear it. And I think there's a fourth one in there. <laughs> uh, but multiple modalities to get knowledge into your brain. There's, of course, an enormous amount of memorization in medical school, but there's also an enormous amount of learning conceptual knowledge. It's in anatomy and, and histology, of course, that those types of um, studies do lend themselves to memorization. But don't be fooled. There's quite a lot of conceptual stuff to learn. And uh, so you said see it. See it, read it. So that's see it. Yeah. <laughs> see it, hear, hear it. it. Oh, say it. Say it. And write it. Yeah. And write it. So your brain is hearing it, seeing it, and you're saying it. So, and that actually brings up the difference between Ryan and me. So in college, I remember that I had a, um, not to call it any names, but my chemistry professor was not of the greatest quality. So I used to learn from the TAs and basically I learned how to teach myself the material. And obviously I got supplemental information from my TAs and I did practice tests with them. It's obviously I didn't teach the course to myself, uh, but I learned how to really uh, study well from books and teach myself by taking notes on everything and taking really good notes and then repeating stuff out loud to myself when I studied. So when I got to medical school, I did the same thing and I was used to studying really long hours every day on weekends, et cetera, because I'd gone to McGill where that was the norm. So for me, when we got to second year, uh, Ryan and I would go to all of the problem solving sessions we had in all of our labs, of course. Uh, and though I will confess, and many other medical students have had the same experience that sometimes you wouldn't go to lecture. Um, and instead I would be at home and be very disciplined about it, getting up in the morning, shower, exercise, whatever, and then sit down at the desk and literally study for 14, 15 hours and be taking notes on books. We had, we had this massive pathology book. You do pathology, uh, when you get the disease side of medicine, when you get to your second year of medical school and a lot of medical schools. And so Robbins was this huge pathology book that we had. And I literally took notes on that book from cover to cover. That's what you had to do. And I think looking back, if Ryan had had headphones with somebody doing audio of that book and he was listening to it as he was reading it, he probably wouldn't have fallen asleep on the couch <laughs> the times yeah. that he did. The times, you mean every day. Because yeah. <laughs> that's just not how he learned. So we're two different people, two peas in a pod, but we learn it very differently um, from each other. So uh, for me, you know, if I missed a class, I was going to teach myself that material and teach it to myself well. Um, and then if I needed um, to get any uh, additional information from the scribe notes, that was great. But everybody is different. And so that's I think that's such a key thing, too, that there's a tendency maybe for some people to get to medical school and there's this pressure. Oh, God, I'm in this class now with all these brilliant people around me. Don't be intimidated by that and don't start looking around and trying to compare yourself and think, well, that person's in the library and this person is over there and they're doing really well. And don't worry about all that stuff. It doesn't matter how anybody else is doing. You're not in this to be ranked number one. You're, you're in this to compete with yourself and to do the best you can so that you can become the best doctor that you can and so that you can match into a really good residency program. So really, really, that's so important. There's, there's such a culture of this, this competitive kind of almost nastiness um, in pre-med programs sometimes in the United States. And that all needs to go to the wayside when you guys to medical school. It's a very collegial environment, at least ours was. And 
Uh, people are there to learn together, help each other. So just focus on competing with yourself, becoming the best you can be and learn whatever learning modality you need, whatever uh, it works for you. That's great. That works for you. So then you can decide, hey, I'm going to go see that movie and it doesn't matter that my friend is going to take tonight to study. So I think it's just whatever works for you is going to work best. All right. So let's finish up with how you planned and what you thought about the, your first summer. For me, it was a little different because I was an HPSP scholarship, and so my summer was kind of pre-planned by the Air Force. I went down to San Antonio and, and did some team-building type stuff with the Air Force and all the other HPSP students. But for you, how did you go about planning what you are going to do that first summer and, and your last summer, really? Well, I remember that a bunch of students were looking at doing research over the summer. Uh, I had really liked our neuroscience course. It was my favorite class of our first year. Uh, we got to learn all about the brain. It was awesome. I remember delivering the brain actually from the skull, like actually taking it out. That was so cool. Uh, maybe for non-neurologists, that's weird, but I loved it. Anyway, so I asked my, our instructor, who could I shadow? I decided, you know what, I'm going to take the summer. And instead of doing research, I'm going to take this opportunity, this one summer that you have in medical school to see uh, how I would feel in a neurologist's office, to see what that's like, to really get good hands-on exposure to that. So I asked the instructor, and sure enough, he hooked me up with a, a neurologist in the Boston area. And uh, that so happens to be who hired me down the line. So like I've said in prior podcasts, uh, and I love to tell people this, shadowing can be so transformative. Uh, so look back at one of our earlier podcasts about shadowing. Uh, so I took the opportunity to um, to reach out to that physician, and uh, he graciously uh, agreed to have me shadow him. And I uh, went to his office um, every day for a lot of the summer and, and got to really, uh, I felt like a sponge. I was just soaking in what was clinical neurology like, and I really got to do more than observe. I was really working with him closely and getting to observe EMGs and uh, learning about so many different kinds of, of uh, problems. And then I started doing, uh, actually taking some history. So it was a fabulous, just life-changing experience for me. And, and obviously it's been uh, really important for me in my career because we stayed uh, in touch and he's, he really became a mentor for me and, and wrote letters uh, for, of recommendation for me for residency. And, and now I'm working at that very practice. So it was really a fantastic opportunity for me and maybe if somebody had said to me, well, what about the, you know, you passed up on this chance to do research, but you know what? Hey, if I had such a life-changing experience, who cares? You know, um, that's why I think uh, you have to really do, go with your gut. Uh, so I, I loved that. Uh, I would suggest to other people that if you do have some interest that you think you might uh, want to explore more that take that opportunity. Uh, I wouldn't just pass up the summer and kind of sit around and eat bonbons because you have two really kind of optional holiday times during medical school. One is that, and then one is in fourth year after you've already matched and that people are moving, doing a whole bunch of different things. But this is a key time when you actually get to really choose what you want to do. So uh, I thought that, that was a great thing for me. Awesome. And the person you shadowed is now 
your colleague uh-huh. slash your boss. Yep. The owner of the practice that you work at now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's life is really interesting. It's a small world out there in medicine. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Any other words of wisdom? Or are we done here? I think we're good. Just make sure in all the craziness that you find time to, you know, be a person and stay sane, exercise, eat well, yeah. drink lots of water, see sleep. your see your family and see your kids if you have kids and and know that it will all work out. It's a crazy year, but it's a great first year. Yes. All right. Well, I hope you, the listener, got something valuable out of our kind of just back and forth conversation about the first year of medical school and what it was like transitioning into that. If you uh, did like what you hear, again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and that'll take you to our iTunes page where you can rate and review us. They, there isn't much that we talked about to leave any kind of information on the show notes except that pancakes video that I'll leave. But the show notes, as always, are at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 33. I hope you join us next time here at the medical school headquarters. <laughs>